Welcome to the podcast. It's the worst territory in the world. Personalities, history, and other stories. We know you're craving for more knowledge. Let the champions get their glory. It's the worst territory in the world. All right, everybody, it is that time of the week. Welcome into the worst territory in the world. I'm Gabe sitting here with Chris Goff, and we have got a heck of a program today, Chris, as we traverse more in to the NWL. And with us today, we also have a very special guest. Chris, why don't you talk about our very special guest this week on the worst territory in the world? Yeah, thank you, Gabe. You know, when I uh, started running Metro Pro Wrestling in Kansas City in 2010, I used a lot of the local guys in Kansas City, but used some guys from St. Louis as well, because they had had some... You know, they had worked with a lot of the guys that I was going to have in Kansas City already. So one of the tag teams I brought over uh, ended up being one of the most over acts ever at Metro Pro Wrestling. And the man with us today went by the gimmick name of Pierre Abernathy. But in real life, he's the only Matt Jackson that matters to anybody in wrestling. Matt, thank you for joining us today. Very excited. Thank you for that great intro. Yep. I am the only Matt Jackson that matters. <laughs> now i know you're partial to the young bucks because you had them at your show before they blew up in AEW. but uh every time I, I think it is funny that you're matt jackson and that everyone thinks on twitter at first at least when he was really hot uh at first you were are you the young bucks is your brother nick and i saw that yeah. all the time i, I got those. a slide info multiple times from like uh Gabe Sapolsky and I like dude I don't think you want me getting off that plane like you sent this to the wrong guy (laughs) uh yeah that's funny uh what are the odds but uh so let's talk about NWL we continue talking about NWL and Matt you were a a big part of it all um I just wanted to go back to before you even got started in the NWL what had happened is I've sort of discussed how some guy named Major Bazin hit me up out of the blue well his lawyer did and then, uh, then we started uh, talking, and he started wanting to know more about the business of things. So after he had solidified me and I was a full-time employee with NWL, he started asking me because he had, obviously, his long-term goal of having two teams, so two cities basically going head-to-head in this regional territories. And like I said before, he wanted to sort of branch that out all around the country, but he wanted to start in his home area of Kansas City and St. Louis. So he asked me, hey, Chris um, – You work with some of these promoters in St. Louis. Who do you think would be a very good promoter to possibly be in charge of things on the St. Louis side? Now, I knew Matt Jackson, and we got along great. He was, you know, like I said, he was one of my favorite guys at the Metro Pro locker room to bring over. And he was always smart to the business, promoted his own shows. But he wasn't my first pick for this because what ended up happening, I thought, was that Major Baisden was a very, like, as we've discussed, very corporate business guy. So um, the guy, the first guy that I thought that might sort of play into the hand that he was sort of wanting would be a guy named Herb Simmons. And he was a guy that ran a company called SICW in uh, Southern Illinois. And he had been doing it. He has ties to, you know, Larry Matisig, Bruiser Brody. He's ran shows for decades and decades. And he, you know, he was sort of, this was sort of a, a very big part of his life. You know, Matt Jackson had other things. He was, he had a girlfriend. He had other jobs like it wasn't this one you know I just thought it would be a more of a seamless thing for Herb so Major went to Herb and they had a discussion and for some ungodly reason uh, Herb Simmons decided that he did not want to do it 
Uh, I've heard his version of the story and I get along with Herb and I don't dislike Herb at all, but I just never really fully understood why he shut it down so fast. Uh, regardless of how long it ended up lasting in hindsight, it really didn't matter to me uh, because I got a full-time salary and got paid for my independent wrestling company and, um, you know, continuing to run just a local independent promotion is not that level. So anyway, so my second choice at that point uh, after that fell through was uh, I discussed it with Matt and Matt, I remember that I met with you and Jake who goes by Evangelistico ended up going as uh, buddy shepherd in the NWL. We met at uh, where was that? It was like an Applebee's. Applebee's. Applebee's yeah. yeah. You guys are about two hours late. Yeah. So tell me Matt, what, I had discussed it with you. We knew each other for years, but what did you think when I first proposed this to you? And I'm sure you and Jake thought, oh, great, another money mark. Well, it was weird because I didn't know about it. Uh, Jake actually knew about it before I did because uh, the way I remember this is like you were asking me about a lot of local guys. And I, I was like, man, it's a little bit weird. Like, I wonder what's going on. And then Jake, I guess it hit you up about Metro dates for the following year or something. And then you had told him why, you know, there's something going on. I don't know. Like there might be a new company starting in Kansas city. So he told me about it. And then I asked you about it and you kind of filled me in on what was going on. And then that's when you kind of talked to me about being a part of it. And you had said like, well, I didn't know if you would want to give up running anarchy or not. And my response was, if you're talking like an actual job with a salary, I'll be more than happy to stop running an independent wrestling show to do that. And then you actually had me, uh, we did a phone call first that was me, you and Major. And you kind of told me like, hey, I wouldn't really expect anything from this. Like, you know, it's just a conversation. Like, well, and then we'll see what happens. So I didn't like really take it as a job interview or anything. Uh, the only part of that conversation I really remember, which is probably something I wouldn't say on a job interview, is Major asked me, he goes, what's the difference between you and, like, Herb Simmons and, and some of these other local St. Louis wrestling promoters? And my response was, uh, I think the biggest difference is I'm really good at what I do, and they're really bad at what they do. <laughs> and then uh, it ended up with that meeting at Applebee's. And uh, I brought Jake along because, like, you know, he was part owner of Anarchy and I didn't really want to just be like, you don't get to be involved in any of this. Like it's over. I'm leaving. I wanted him to at least hear what it was going to be. And, uh, I think you guys are doing something in St. Louis anyway. Uh, like a small show, maybe. No, somewhere. that was the, that was the, first, yeah, well, it was sort of a show, I guess. That was the exhibition we put on at the NHRA track in pontoon beach, Illinois. Okay, yeah. And that was just so, and the only people involved in that, because all hit that, this is the kind of promotional stuff that he was up to at the very beginning. We would set up a ring at this racetrack, which, of course, there's a lot of crossover with racing and wrestling fans. And Major was a huge uh, NASCAR fan, Major bucking all the, you know, traditions of what I thought Major would like. But he enjoyed uh, NASCAR. And so we, we set up at the NHRA track. And the only people there at the time were uh, John Webb who wrestled for WLW and uh, uh, Jake Durden, who had like, they had sort of a, they had matches and I had a referee there and they were the ones helping me put the ring together. And there were some other wrestlers that showed up, but those two are the ones that stick out as like helping and doing it and setting it up. And that's what we, we caught you on the way to that. 
Right, yeah, because you guys showed up in the you know with the ring trailer and everything. So Matt, I'm thinking, Matt, what like, was, real quick, Matt, what was your first impression uh, <laughs> meeting Major? I ask, or Chris or I ask people this because he's such an interesting kind of eccentric guy when you first meet him what was your first impressions of major when you first uh like like met him in person well for me i kind of was like chris smartened me up kind of about him already before the meeting so i kind of had a little bit of an idea what to expect i mean i kind of learned more about major as this thing went along because at first I was kind of just a dude. Like I, I didn't talk to major a lot. I would be on these creative calls, but I didn't really say a lot. But like the, the as far as this meeting went, I'm thinking like, all right, I got to sell myself to this guy. Cause you're, you're talking about a salary. And, it, and at this point in my life, man, I was, uh, you know, not, not in the greatest position. I was currently like, at this point I was in like an outpatient rehab. Like I didn't have a job at the time. I was hoping not to have to go back into the street life I, I had lived like before all this. So I'm thinking like, you know, this is a pretty big thing. I need to sell myself to this guy. So we'll see how this goes. And then the meeting proceeded to last about five minutes as he just come in and goes, you guys want anything? And I was like, no, he ordered a salad. Uh, the only question he asked me is like, would you be able to write like five or six storylines at a time? And I was like, yeah, of course. And he's like, well, if Chris likes you, I like you. You're hired. And Chris will talk to you about everything else. And then that was it. So I was like, oh, <laughs> all right. I guess that's it. And then they left and we left. And I was like, oh, well, that's the end of that, I guess. And that was it. Like the, the whole thing lasted about five minutes as far as the actual meeting itself. And, and that was it. Yeah, I mean, at that point, Major was – we were well underway of getting this thing going and because uh, you weren't exactly at the very beginning of all this. I mean, he was building his base in Kansas City and then obviously was trying to then – you know, I, I think this sort of encapsulates how people in St. Louis thought of it, uh, even though Major didn't necessarily think of that, although he did make some sort of negative posts about St. Louis going down the stretch. But uh, at the beginning, Major wasn't necessarily anti-St. Louis. He just had – he lived in Kansas City. And so he wanted – the base was always going to be in Kansas City. And then uh, people that were based in St. Louis were obviously going to possibly feel like a second-class citizen. But I, yeah, he honestly didn't feel that way at the beginning. But, Matt, like you you would come to the office after you got hired. And, of course, you were on all our calls. Uh, you were part of those awesome uh, morning, like, daily calls where everyone would have to talk about what they accomplished the day before. And, uh, and then you would move on to um, being on just the creative calls. But – you never were actually a part, like you were never in the office in Kansas City on a regular basis. And I, I, I always thought maybe you felt, uh, you know, like semi left out, even though it was sort of just based on geography. No, no, I mean, not really. I, I understood like my job was to hold together the St. Louis part. I mean, I, I didn't really feel like some of these other guys as far as St. Louis being, uh, treated as second class like look my direct deposit come in just like anyone else's so i wasn't like a second class citizen and those the wrestlers there you know you, you got to remember this stuff was like in 2017 so some of these wrestlers today in st louis that are really popular on the independence and that they do okay money wise at this particular time the nwl was more money than they were making at any other indies and they were getting paid, getting their gear paid for. Like, 
I, I, I don't agree that St. Louis was ever treated second class because I think what more happened is the wrestlers tried to hold NWL to a higher standard than other independents they worked because the guy that happened to be running this one had money. Like, I remember people bitching about catering getting canceled. And it's like, how many bookings do you do that have catering at all? So, no, nah, yeah. I never felt treated any worse or better. Like, I never really felt left out because I was on the creative calls. Uh, so, yeah, I, I didn't have any issues. Yeah, Did tell you, me about the – well, go ahead, Gabe. Well, so going back a little bit, so you get hired. He said, you know, he says, hey, if Chris likes you, I like you, you're hired. Um, and you kind of, you know, like the rest of us, especially because we're ramping up towards the launch of it, you get thrown headlong into it. Um, talk about the process of building just real quick about building the St. Louis roster. Um, was it something that you and Chris collaborated on? Um, was it something that you mainly spearheaded and was there any St. Louis wrestlers longtime uh, St. Louis wrestlers that you reached out to that were like, nah, I'm good. Um, yeah, there were a few, I mean, one that comes to mind, like, uh, Kurt Stallion was one that he passed on it, uh, because, but he was doing other stuff at the time. Like he was doing some stuff for ring of honor and that. So he stayed more focused on that. Um, no, I mean, for the most part, I got to use whoever I wanted as far as St. Louis. Well, like as far as my guys, like there were some guys that I wasn't, or I, I mean, I was familiar with them, but I didn't book them that I was told like, hey, they're going to be a part of this. But it's not like it was a situation where we were haggling over who we were going to use. Like everybody was pretty cool with just for the most part migrating over the anarchy roster minus a few of the guys that traveled from out of town uh, and then putting in some other local guys. So, yeah, I mean, I was a part of a big part of building that the actual roster. Matt, tell me about uh, your first memory of uh, being involved in a call, like a daily call there. Was it I can't remember. Were you there when we we had there's a infamous meeting that was at NWL when I had a bunch of the local Kansas City guys there and basically major wanted to sort of have a really early meeting with potential wrestlers and sort of lay out his ideas and we had spreadsheets. I mean, he, you know, that I think that's one thing that you have to remember from this, Matt, is that Major was treating this like it was a real, like, <laughs> Forbes 500 company, you know, which at, on the independent level was unheard of. It still is, really. But uh, do you remember Do you remember that meeting where the wrestlers, because some of the wrestlers in that early Kansas City meeting, uh, Major was talking about, now we'll have full-time wrestlers and we'll have part-time wrestlers. And he was talking about what they would have each way. And then... Uh, some of the guys that obviously had no shot of being a full-time wrestler were like, I think I'd like to be a full-time wrestler. And I'm like, no, 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 boys. That, that's not what he's – he's not offering you the opportunity for that. Were you there for that? No, I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't there for that one. I start – like, so my contract started in January of 17, but I wanted to be – like a part of the character creation process. Yeah. So like from October to January, the only calls I was on were when we would do the character calls just for the St. Louis people. Okay. So th those are the ones I, I was on. So tell me about those because I want to, I want to get, yeah, I have, I've talked about those and I'll talk about them more, but what was your impression of that? Uh, the way we did those where we would call these guys up, 
and we would have some possible predetermined names for them because he wanted to own the rights to it, which in today's world is completely normal in wrestling. And, uh, and then we would talk to them about if they had any ideas, and if they didn't, here's some ideas that we have in, in case you don't have any ideas. And, uh, you know, I thought, you know, as you know, some wrestlers loved that and some wrestlers hated that. Yeah, so I, I remember two calls. I, I'm gonna get. I, I'll talk about the good first, and then I'll go into the call because this, this was one of the first ones I was on, and it was it was a what I perceived as a bad call, and it was one of the moments where I was like, man, I don't know about this. Ninety nine percent of those calls, though, I mean, it was always a collaboration with the talent. So sure. it wasn't a situation where we said, "This is what you're gonna do. This is what you're gonna be called." It was always, "What do you want to do, and what do you think you should be called?" So, I mean, most of them were pretty fluid. It was just brainstorming, and we'll do this, and we'll do that. Most of the guys were were excited about it, I, I, but I do remember a call, and the talent wasn't even on the call. Uh, it was just me, you, and Travis, and they were talking about we were talking about Vega and Fidget, and I remember Travis going, well, you know, uh, St. Louis is a pretty big like sports town. So what if we just, you know, we let them keep their first name and we called them, uh, you know, Davey Blue and Matt Cardinal. And I just remember going, man, if we pitch that to them, they're like, pitch it on this straight hang up on us. Like, I, but I remember that call as one. I was like, oh, man. oh yeah. Like, like these names, like, oh, no, like <laughs> that's going to be real bad. But, well, that's um, opposite. That's opposite of what some of these calls were, because most of the right. time the guys were on the phone. We're like, hey, you know, I still think it was a cool idea. And I still don't understand why people don't see the big picture of the name change. It's like he wants to have you uh, have a gimmick that's different from the five other indie, especially the part timers. You're having a gimmick that's different from the five other indies you're working in the, in the you know, two hour radius from here. You're still getting paid more than you do those other indies. So, like, what does it really matter? And some had a real problem with that, thinking that my value is worth more than that. And I just it, – it didn't make any sense, really, big long term. No, I agree. Like, I – look, man, you're, you're dealing with not everybody, but, but some guys, just they have a misguided view of what their stock is, right? So, I, I, and especially, like, for me – as an example, on the Indies, like me and Jake were the submission squad for all this time, and we had traveled all these places. But when you wanted us to do the commission for Metro, I was like, "Yeah, okay, sure, whatever you whatever you need us to do." And I didn't understand why some of the guys who maybe didn't agree with the name changes would have had that attitude of just, "Yeah, I mean, rather I agree with it or not, who cares? I at least want to try something new." And, because that's what, like, the commission was for me. Like, I'm going to get to try something new, something I haven't done before, and we'll see what happens. And, uh, you know, a lot, a lot more guys didn't have a problem with it than did. But, uh, yeah, the creative calls, it, it all was a collaborative effort. Some went well, some not so well. What do you think the what, what do you think the fallout has been since then, Matt? Like when, when people look back at that, you you still talk to a lot of the guys who are involved in that. Do they look back at NWL and that creative change? Because at the time, like you said, it was brand new ideas on the indie scene for you to work a different name than you're going to work others. And like now, you look back, and I think some of the guys I can tell online have sort of embraced that and look back in fondness in that NWL era. But at the time, you know, uh, look. <laughs> 
Gary J very over in St. Louis, but uh, it became a joke when he was called Jay Lutz as the, the guy that we shot videos in the bar and that corner bar where we went and shot all these vignettes, which I thought was one of the most fun parts shooting those vignettes for the lead up to the characters. But, uh, you know, but I think Gary really liked NWL, even though Jay Lutz has become a punchline. No, he did. Like Gary was one of the guys, you know, more quietly than others that would defend NWL when some of the other guys maybe would say shit because, you know, he would say all the time because people would go to him because, yeah, he was one of the more over guys in St. Louis. Like, why would they change your name and what kind of name is Jay Lutz? And he'd be the first to say, well, I'm the one that come up with that. Like it was his uh, his dad's last name is Lutz. And so he, he came up with it. Um, I, you know, I think it's 50, 50. Uh, I think that there are guys that look back on it and they appreciate it because I mean, again, it was more money than they normally would make. And it was weekly work and, and those things for a good production. And then there are some people who are bitter, but it's just like with anything else, right? A lot of the people who are bitter about it are people that didn't get used through the whole thing or didn't feel they got used properly. And that's just kind of the nature of what this is. Not everybody's going to be happy. Uh, you know, I, I think you know, if we go over when St. Louis was closed or whatever, I think that process rubbed some people the wrong way. And some of the stuff major would say about St. Louis kind of rubbed people the wrong way. So it's kind of like, 50-50 as far as like people who understood what it was and appreciated it compared to people who, you know, have sour taste in their mouths for whatever reason. Uh, so, I, yeah, I think it's 50-50. Well, let's talk about uh, just the St. Louis side of things. Um, you know, for those of you out there that that didn't pay that close of attention to NWL, don't know it at all, maybe. Uh, every week we would have shows uh, either in Kansas City or St. Louis, or we started doing other towns, St. Joseph, Missouri, Springfield, Joplin, you know, Wichita. We do other towns sort of like an old school territory. Now, Matt, something about St. Louis that I want to talk to you about specifically is that, of course, one, one idea that Major had that I wasn't necessarily in love with, but, of course, I – was trying to be as positive about it and go forward as, as much as we could with his vision because he was the guy writing the checks and, you know, I was bowing to whatever he wanted to do and giving him my input. And the input was that these downtown buildings that he was trying to have me book forever, which was Scottish Rite, we ended up in Kansas City, and then Casa Loma was our first big venue in St. Louis. And those two venues, obviously in an urban area, uh, demographics different from the suburbia that most of these uh, independent promotions run on, especially in the Midwest. And we go to Casa Loma, and that was a really cool building, Matt. And I know they've had festivals outside it or whatever, but much like the Scottish Rite in Kansas City, it didn't really work out because, you know, it's probably not the greatest area to take your five-year-old kid at night, you know, and, and I, I think that hurt us. What did you think about the venues? Um, so... Yeah, I mean, the Casa Loma wasn't in the greatest area. Uh, it was right next to the Stroll in South St. Louis. But uh, it, for me, I mean, if we start diving into why I didn't think St. Louis worked how we originally did it, I always just I, I look back at the ticket prices, and I kind of knew one. I knew that weekly St. Louis wasn't going to work the second I saw what the ticket prices were. But sure. as far as far as the venue goes, like, yeah, it's a cool venue. It's not in the greatest place. 
and it is difficult, you know, to get some people to drive into that area. And yeah, that, that hurt us too. I will say though, when we were giving out like free tickets and going into like businesses and that, I had the highest redemption rate because I would give tickets to the homeless people around uh, around the area. And I remember Major like, why do we have an awful lot of homeless people coming into the show with tickets? I would give them to them. Well, why, why are the concession sales zero? We have so many people here. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, okay, we'll talk about talk about the ticket prices. That's fine. You know, obviously when Major went into this, he had a he had a big vision what this could possibly be. And it was uh, in some ways very uh, you know, very aggressive, you know. Uh he thought he was going to have a full-time staff. I mean, you can talk about how the guys got uh stagecoach boots on that first wave and uh, like gimmick, you know, their their gimmicks were like all paid for, like their costuming and all that was crazy, like expensive and nice. And then, um, you know, with that, the price for that, though, is having all this is that the tickets have to be more than 10 or 15 dollars. So um, he wanted to, you know, get the money back on that, thinking that, hey, if I provide something really nice, I'll get it back. But you never despite what you think you threw into it, you never thought I was going to get it back in St. Louis. Right. Yeah. So for me, it was more we were using a lot of these, you know, a lot of St. Louis local guys. And the biggest difference between Kansas City and St. Louis, just as like a, a territory, was in St. Louis you had multiple, multiple independent wrestling promotions who used these same guys. So it's like if you're a fan, if you're a group of fans that are coming to a show to see like a Gary J or a Vega or a Fitchett or a, a Jake Parnell or any of those guys who are the more popular. Uh, part-time local guys they could go see them at glory pro or pwcs at the time for like half of what we were charging and i knew that would be an issue like obviously i'm smart enough to know like we had to charge that to like make money especially with what he was paying people and all the extra stuff like paying for blood work paying for physicals paying for gear boots catering production all those things but I, I just i knew right away like man these ticket prices every week i don't think that's going to work here because there's so many other options of wrestling that were much cheaper yeah and it seemed like of course the the amount of uh you know that that was a weird time in indie wrestling because you mentioned some of those other companies and like you know, that was when indies were starting to be even cooler. It was a wave of, like, coolness on the indies where you had, uh, you know, bringing in names from Japan, bringing in these other names that had just come off TV. You know, nowadays it's a little different because when I, you know, Michael Strider runs Central States Wrestling here in Kansas City, it's like, you know, there's not a ton of options of, like, really awesome uh, non-AEW, non-WWE guys because uh, they've all been basically scooped up way more than they were even in you know six years ago, so um, it, you were sort of battling that uh, you were going for the old school family really is what NWL was, and you're sort of battling the sort of uh, for lack of a better term the the more modern like AEW crowd on the other indies, and it was it still today can work. It's just uh, like you said, it's. It's hard. People are willing to pay more money per ticket now, it seems, than 2023, but there's just less people. Right. No, I agree with that. 
Matt, so, when you go back to thinking about, um, you know, all the different, you know, you guys were touching on all the different uh, promotions that are running out there. The competition is a lot greater there than it was here in Kansas City as far as for the uh, the audience, the ticket buyer, all that kind of stuff. What was because it seems like those fans out there are very loyal to certain promotions. And then you have, you know, fans that kind of rotate between all of them. What was the reaction? You know, again, backtracking a little bit when quote unquote the nwl took over st louis anarchy and that you know you guys uh, if i i wasn't here but i think you guys did a big angle where nwl came in or can, can you talk about that just a little bit yeah i mean look looking back on it i regret we did that in st louis anarchy uh our fans hated it as far as the anarchy fans they weren't happy at all uh, we had a very um some would say niche but they're like a niche fan base, I guess, but they're very passionate. So uh, they were not happy that Anarchy was going away. And so I kind of figured that Major's reception would be pretty dicey when he came in to begin with. Um, and I, actually, it wasn't that bad as far as his, the reception of him was. But I, I remember him talking, like when he was talking in the ring, and he said, he's like, you know, uh, it's going to be the same as St. As St. Louis Anarchy, just more production, and Matt's going to be in charge. It's going to be the same. And I already knew, like, no, it's not going to be the same at all. <laughs> it's it's going to be a completely different product than what they're used to. So I kind of regret that we did that. Now, now, with that said, there was some cool stuff with it, like our fans show up and you have the jacked out NWL RV out there. Like they come into the show and there's like free t-shirt on every chair, which, you know, Anarchy fans back then, we didn't even have merchandise. Like we were extremely, extremely low, but there was no money. So like, you know, stuff on the chairs and stuff they got was cool. So like, I think for maybe that second, they kind of bought into it and everything, but it, it, I knew they weren't going to be the biggest fans of it because it wasn't going to be anything like what they were used to. Cause you know, some of the fans, like a lot of our fans liked the fact that we were low budget, no money. And it kind of looked grimy. And in some cases looked like shit. They liked it. And this was going to not be that NWL was not going to be that. And so I kind of knew they, they weren't going to like it. Yeah. But with all that said, the angle we ran at the end, it really did get over. Like people were into it. So yeah, and that's kind of the, what I remember about that. It reminded me, I mean, yes, Anarchy is your ECW taking on WWE. You know, it's just a, it's just the grittiness is what had the character of the company. And yes, it, even as, even though you were going to be in charge and he's trying to represent that you were going to be a part of it, it's still, with all the money thrown into it, it was not going to be apples to apples at all. But can, for a comedic side note, based on that last Anarchy show before NWL started, can you please talk about... Uh, our favorite baby face in Kansas City, Michael Strider, getting into an altercation with other Anarchy wrestlers that day. Uh, yeah, so we do this thing at the end. Long story short, Strider tips over the merchandise table that had these guys' merchandise on it, so they were very mad. And little do I know, because you know I'm in the ring giving a speech, and the way he likes to tell it is that, you know, me, Gary, Vega, and Fitchett are all getting carried out of the building by the fans while he's backstage 
fighting for his life because Strider was going to kill Team IOU because <laughs> Evan had to take care of all that. I didn't know that any of that was even going on, but uh, I, I've told both those guys, like, you know, more jokingly now because it's been years, like, they're very lucky. I was like, the man would have killed the both of you guys. <laughs> oh, uh, I, if you know Michael Strider, you know that if Michael Strider, who is a nice guy, if he gets mad and gets into a fight, you will have to kill him to make him <laughs> stop. And I, I, fe- I feel like you're that way too, Matt. I feel like if people get in a fight with you, you would have to die to lose probably. So at least before, you know, at least during that era of your life. And uh, yeah, it's just funny. Um uh, Strider telling that story of flipping the table over, where he was really just trying to, uh, you know, show some emotion there, you know, as the Kansas City heel in St. Louis, but uh, it really ticked off the guys who had their merchandise like doused with beer or whatever. The hell yeah. it was funny. <laughs> it was good. Uh, so let's t- let's get into it, Matt. Let's let's just start talking like in generalities here. We get into it and we start. Uh, you know, you help a lot with creative on uh, storylines. Um, Travis Bowden, who had been brought in from the beginning from Memphis, who used to be a former guy with uh, Jerry Lawler and USWA back in Memphis. He is quickly gone after, gosh, the first show or two. So it basically creative comes down to me, you, uh, Major involved, and then, you know, Strider got involved some. That was basically the extent of it. Um, what did you remember? Like, what are some of the memories you have, you know, us doing that and that in the creative process and all the TVs and shows that we were writing? Yeah, I mean, it was a really fun time. I mean, for me, part of taking this job outside of, like, the fact that it's a salary was that it was, like, a new challenge for me because I'd booked, you know, independent wrestling for many, many, many years at that point. I was looking to transition out of it anyway. Uh, I had been in this outpatient rehab, started taking, like, addiction counseling classes, and that's what I – I had every intention to close an anarchy in like March of 2017 anyway and transitioning into that. But having this new challenge of like legit, because at first I didn't really help with the TV, but as more people started cycling out, I got to do more stuff. And then when the one guy whose name escapes me now, when he left, uh, then way more business stuff got thrown on your plate. And then, more wrestling stuff got thrown on mine and just writing that weekly TV with you guys. And I, I mean, it was a lot of fun. It was a new challenge and, and all these anarchy guys obviously respected me and, and all those things, but it was also a chance to like help lead a whole new group of people to see, like for me, it was an opportunity to go, am I actually good at this or Am I just a guy that runs an indie show? So, of course, people are nice to you and say you're good because they want to keep coming and working for you and and getting a little bit of money. So it was like a whole new challenge to see, like, all right, am I actually good at this stuff or or what? Um, But, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I remember because at this particular time I was living back in the neighborhood, which was not a good neighborhood, and I'd have to take some of these calls, like the morning calls. I'd have to take them outside because there'd be people – you know, do chopping up work, doing their thing across the hall, which would be noisy. So I would take my calls outside. I got attacked by a dog once on a call. That was a pretty popular uh, office call. I, like, I remember oh, that. Guys. Yeah. I'm about to get attacked by this dog. I'll call back in. So, you know, I just writing the TV and stuff was a lot of fun. Like it was, you know, you think about some of this stuff and, and be like, is it really an eight hour day doing this stuff? And it was like, because I would be booking the house shows and stuff. And then 
at the end of the day, we would have a call about it and talk about all of it and, and to write weekly TV like that and try to keep these storylines being progressed. It, it really was an eight hour a day process. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. Yeah. It's funny you say that you're going to wrap up anarchy. Cause that's how I felt too. I was, I had done Metro pretty much for six years straight. I had a couple little breaks there because of work related stuff that what didn't allow me to have as many shows, but um, but for the most part, we ran from 2010 to 2016. And at that point, it was sort of, I had had a bunch of people in, had a bunch of cool shows, but I was ready to, I don't know, do something else. You know, it was just getting to, it just was get, becoming monotonous to me after a while. And I, and when Major uh, came and, you know, offered this out of the blue, it was sort of a, it was a cool thing for me because it allowed me to have that change career paths because I was doing something that I thought wasn't going to last long anyway, which was cable television stuff. And uh, obviously that came to fruition with streaming. But then you had sort of revitalized you too. So we were in the same boat in that. The guy you were talking about that left was Rob Messerly and his son, Robbie Messerly, was the guy that was the trainer at the TPC for a while. Um, you know, yes, when he left, uh, a lot of the yeah the financial stuff and business stuff uh, i sort of took that over you know you were there for the and and so was gabe when he joined the you know sort of it started out and major said this from the beginning and i think he probably told you too man it's like you start out with these this vision and this goal but what we start off with in six months will be completely different you try to find your revenue sources you see how much money you're going to lose or make or whatever major was completely okay with not making money for at least a year he he went into it knowing that and he went into it full bore and then by the time we got like you know six months in that's when cuts started happening and you know consolidation of job titles and we didn't need all these people and we had two full-time you know rooms to work in we had one downtown kansas city and then our full-fledged like performance center up north and you know these things started you know coming together and the sad part matt as we know at the very end when it ended um and we can get your thoughts on just how it ended in a minute but when it ended, it was like it was sort of coming back from like the from the red into the black. I mean, we were not losing money at the end. Uh, you know, I think Major will tell you any startup company goes, you know, you lose money for a while. It's just he's done it so many times. He was used to that. But uh, by the time we were starting to make money, then, you know, things fell apart again. Right. So like the first wave, like when we when we did had to do layoffs for me, I look back on that and go, man. If 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 Rob wouldn't have quit, I don't know if I would have survived those first round of layoffs because, I mean, because you could have done what I was doing and there would have been really no use for me because at that point, St. Louis was pretty much I think it was closed like it was different. We were we weren't doing uh, Casa Loma every other week anymore. So, you know, luckily for me, I suppose, like it happened at a time where I was able to actually show my worth because, you know, at that time before that, I was just kind of running St. Louis and making the matches for St. Louis. And I, I would throw in some stuff for Kansas city, but it was kind of two separate companies that like at the start, it was one company, but two different creatives where when it started to change, I started to like get to, show my worth more which was good for me when that happened like the first time unfortunately when we had to make the cuts i remember the show we did in topeka it was a house show i think the main was jeff cobb and dak draper 
-hmm. And that show particularly did not do well at all. And I remember sitting at that show and I might've said it to you or I might've said it to Gabe because it would have had to be somebody sitting near the production board and I wouldn't have said it to like just random people. But I, I remember looking over at somebody and going, I think this is over. <laughs> like, I, I think this will be the last show. Cause I mean, it was, it was pretty bad, bad times at that point, but yeah, I mean, uh, in October of 2016, like, I don't know what, why it happened or what happened, but we started doing really well. And I mean, we were firing on all cylinders for sure. And the company was getting popular. It was even getting popular. We didn't really care about the online community. Like we were more about like, what are the TV ratings? Like how are we promoting these shows in these particular towns to get live attendance up? We weren't really focused on being like quote internet cool but we were actually starting to become internet cool because we were putting on such good shows and we were kind of bringing in more guys like, you know, Eddie Kingston, Jimmy Jacobs, and uh, I think Anthony Henry, like, you know, guys that were popular on the internet and they were fitting in seamlessly, obviously. And we were just having great shows. So yeah, things started becoming extremely popular and, you know, yeah, then it was then it was over. <laughs> it was just kind of crazy. You know, you know, before we get into the you know the final days of of the NWL, you know, I really felt like there was some times where the Kansas City crowd was a lot easier to win over. You know, and I think because there was a lot less competition out here, um, I felt like honestly, and Matt, correct me if I'm wrong, I think we started winning some St. Louis fans, even some Anarchy fans, over at the end because when we started making that paradigm shift. Of bringing in, you know, more guys, kind of catering some of the action to the St. Louis fan. Like, you know, me and Chris were talking about the Tommy Dreamer show at the skating rink or whatever it was. Um, there was times where I felt like we were starting to actually like gain some ground in St. Louis as well. Like we had a big uphill battle, you know, Casa Loma was kind of a battle. All these other, you know, the name changes, the Letterman's, all that kind of stuff. Like I felt like we were starting to make some ground. Do you do you feel that that was the case? Like we were starting to make some some headway there in St. Louis. Yeah, I, I feel like once we got into that uh, Elks and O'Fallon thing, started trending upward for us. Uh, because I mean, I, I think yeah, changing some of the names back was a good thing. Um, you know, we did what we could. Like when Major up and closed it, and and. Uh, you know, I'm not going to dive all into that. I don't know how much time we got, but I just remember him calling me going, I bet you're kind of freaked out, huh? And I was like, dude, I'm watching Orange is the New Black and eating a pizza. Like, I figured you would call me eventually. <laughs> and then we kind of conjured up this anarchy NWL idea to kind of see if maybe that would get some of the fans excited. I mean, I don't know. It worked to a degree as far as like some of the anarchy fans, but more so, I think when we put popular St. Louis wrestlers to that fan base in a position of like being at the top of the card, like you started seeing Gary, like Gary and Maverick had a fantastic feud in St. Louis. And I think when they started seeing, okay, they're doing stuff with Gary and doing stuff with Vega and that at the top of the card, it kind of won them over a little bit. But it, even more than that, I just think the shows were really good once we got into O'Fallon. Like the, the shows became better than what they were at Casa Loma. 
So we were able to build a fan base in O'Fallon just because the shows were, were better. And that probably had more to do with it than like any of the name change dropping or anything, even like doing the anarchy light stuff. Like it was just more the shows improved a great deal by the time we got to O'Fallon. Well, why don't you talk about that uh, final, the final day, you know, uh, what was sad about the whole closing of the NWL and that what I've discussed on here before, uh, we haven't really gotten deep into the closing itself. But what I said is a lot of people just don't understand how it all went down at the end. They all assume like we were just losing so much money that we couldn't recover and he shut it down one day. That couldn't have been further from the case. I mean, look at the logic around this. The guy was redoing the TPC into our own arena. We were, we were shifting into a whole new, um, you know, Avenue at this point, new direction. And, uh, and that's so, I mean, if the, if the thing was on its last leg based purely on the wrestling, there's a lot of signs that didn't point that way before the end. So, and that's not what really happened. It was a personal thing with majors finances. It had nothing to do directly with NWL, except that, Based on what happened in the rest of his life, it sort of led to the closure of the NWL. People, I find, I understand why that's hard to understand if you don't know all the situation that goes into it. But that that final day, when you get the call or when you hear from everyone that it's closing, like, what were your thoughts on this? I mean, I, of course, I think we all knew we were always riding the wave on how long is this going to last? Or oh, we had an uptick. It was always a sort of a roller coaster from day one. But you know, we had that TPC up, and we had. Our, we had Craig Kiesman, Niles Plonk putting up the uh, this all the you know the seating and the balconies or whatever, and um, you know I was ready to go. And then we you know, uh, and I will admit that he asked me, "Do you want to have one show in here and then close it, or just close it?" And I'm sorry, I just it. Everyone knew it was going to close, and it just didn't make any sense to have a show in there. Now some people say we should have had a goodbye show, but I was just like. Um, I think it's more disturbing to have a show and a revamped – well, let's not get into how the bathrooms were horrible and all this other stuff in that building. But a revamped building would have been like, oh, my gosh, it's all so awesome, and this is it. Like, I just – I don't know. What did you think of that ending? So the funny thing about the TPC stuff is I, I slept there. <laughs> Instead of making major bias like hotels. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. When, when we would do those double shots, like we, we would sleep at the PC because, I mean, comfortable experience. Uh, and one time he actually showed up with contractors, I guess, to have to do something. And like me, Gary, uh, a couple other people, uh, Evan, where we were in there asleep. But, uh, yeah, man, the final times were rough. Like, I, mean, I, I guess we can, I can talk about it all now that it's over. But like that week lead into it, me and you were talking a lot about it. So I kind of, I, I mean, I knew it was closing when we had the final show, the Joplin show, because uh, me and you were talking about all that, and, and that was an extremely difficult show because I, I knew. 99% chance that this was the last show that it was going to close and not being able to like talk about that. And you see these, cause these guys like our staff and crew and all the wrestlers, the full-time and the part-time guy, like this run we went on from October until it closed, the whole group was bought in. So like from before that you had some people that were really didn't give a shit. It was just money to them. They weren't really bought in. You know, some people that, you know, they just didn't care as much. But when we started getting on fire, like, everybody was bought into what we were doing. So then when you know 
this this is done and <laughs> chances are this is the last show and you see these people working really hard and you can't say anything to them because you know what if it don't what if something happened you don't you just can't tell people so like yeah that was an extremely hard show and then you you roll into when it actually does happen and you know, I'm on the phone because obviously I'm not. I was actually supposed to be in Kansas City because I was going to come to Kansas City, be there the whole weekend for the PC show. And we were talking about that. It was probably not going to happen. It's probably going to close. And there are two calls I remember. It's the one that where you called because I kept saying, well, hey, you want me to buy this train ticket? Like, or I just won't buy it. And we, you were like, well, I probably wouldn't buy it because it's, not, it's probably not going to be good. And then finally, I think you called me and you're like, yeah, don't buy that ticket. Like, it's, it's going to be over. And so then, you know, that was a call. And then the actual call where it closes, like, I'm sitting on the phone and you just hear everybody in there joking around, like having a good time and knowing, like, man, he's about to walk in here and close this and we're all going to be out of jobs. But the, this group of people don't know and they're just having a good time because that, that's what it was. It was a good time and you hear them talking and laughing and then he comes in and the whole the whole attitude changes and that was it. And in some ways, look, I'm kind of glad it happened that way as far as like we went on this hot run and then it was just over. I, I would almost rather that money aside, obviously I would have loved to have made money for all these like for many many years but i'd almost rather it go out the way it did rather than like we're doing this for 10 years or whatever and it kind of fizzles out the draws drop and then we start losing money like if it had to go out i'd rather it go out the way it did because we were on fire our last show drew over 500 people in joplin we were drawing 350 the 500 plus in every town we were doing except O'Fallon and that was trending upward so I would almost rather it just go out like that like go out when it's hot rather than go out a different way Jackson we've spent yeah, a lot of we spent a lot of time talking about the gimmicks and stuff and yeah it was a really like you know obviously you know whenever I hear you and uh Goff relive you know the final days of of the NWL and knowing that you guys knew about it before any of us did you know I always get a little bit like damn it like why couldn't you guys have told me you know but I understand why you guys didn't tell us um but, you know, again, it's always kind of that twinge of like, man, like I wish somebody would have would have smartened us up or whatever. Um, but, you know, in closing, you know, or, or talking about in, in recollection of the NWL, I have two questions for you, Matt. Uh-huh. One of them being, are you responsible for Ron Powers um, uh, calling a show with me? Um, and the second question is, out of all the gimmicks that uh, the St. Louis wrestlers were were saddled with, so to speak. Was there one particular one that you thought had legs if we stuck with it? Uh, the first question, no, I, I didn't. wasn't responsible for Ron Powers. Major would bring in. Look, there are a lot of St. Louis people who are are smart guys that that are like these old school dudes, and and, and maybe Ron Powers is one of them. Maybe he's not. I don't know Ron, but I had not heard good things. And yeah, I, I had never even met him. I still don't think I met him. I don't think he said anything to me at the show. But uh, 
no, I, I wasn't responsible for that. I hear he did a good job, though. I don't know why we didn't bring him back. Stop. <laughs> Stop with that. Stop. Uh, no, as far as gimmicks, I can't think of any that I thought had legs that didn't do well. Uh, I thought all of them that were good did well. I, I have some favorites. I mean, uh, I really enjoyed the underground of Danny Adams and, and Jake Parnell. And I thought both those guys did a great job with that character. Like with that tag team, they're one of my favorites that we that we had that maybe we don't talk about enough. Like I, I loved the, I think it was Adam Ryan and Jackie Lee Bosch. Like I really loved that tag team. Uh, I mean, my favorites, Buddy Shepard, like the way Jake took to that character and the stuff he did, like I'll, I'll never forget. We did, because we would have to go out me and Kev and outlaw. Like we were going out a ton and promoting the shows in St. Louis during the week. Well, there was something going on where the crew was coming down here because we were doing something early Saturday morning. And we were out promoting, amongst other things maybe, until like 6.30 in the morning, uh, Saturday morning. So it was Friday night and Saturday morning. We were out to like 6.30 in the morning. And we had to be where we were going at eight in the morning Saturday for an all day fucking promoting of the show. I think it was like a Mardi Gras thing, maybe. So we, we go there and buddy Shepard put that suit on and stood out there and promoted that show for like eight and a half straight hours. And that, and the whole get up in character promoting the show. I was somebody that was truly bought in. He ended up getting a Bloody Mary thrown at him because uh, some lady was upset that we weren't, quote, real wrestling. But, you know, like Buddy Shepard went out and promoted all the time in full costume and gimmick all the time. Like, I think Buddy Shepard was my favorite St. Louis character just because Jake bought in so much and did so much with that character. Oh, no. Uh, Buddy Shepard was one of the greatest. Uh, yes. The people that if, if there's a trend here, the people that buy into it more obviously did a better job. I mean, it was just you know if you if you it's just like gimmicks at the highest level. If you if you really love it and get into it big time, you can make it work if you have the chops. And Jake did, and Buddy Shepard is uh his sort of uh I mean it was a it was sort of an updated version of Brother Love to a degree, but he put his own spin on it, and it was so good. Um, you know, he does a great, he did a great job with the commission as well. So, can, but can, I, you know, go ahead, Chris. Well, no, I was going to, I was going to talk about, <laughs> don't get hot at me. Like you were like, Oh, come on. The, the, the t-shirt. Can we talk about the buddy shepherd t-shirt? Oh, the uh, dirty one. The worst a... <laughs> wrestling no, t-shirt no. of come all on. time. That's not true because, uh, there was a Val Venus t-shirt in 1998 and it said cocked, locked, and ready to unload. And it was written in sperm on the front. And that was put out by WWF. <laughs> was it so, really? Yes. Oh, yes. shit. Well, uh, yeah, so that's the worst. I think this Buddy shirt might have been worse if, if we went with the original idea. The Buddy Shepard shirt to come out wasn't even the original Buddy Shepard idea. Major wanted it to be way worse. Remember, he wanted to put multiple Blood Buddy Shepard splooches on the shirt that would say... Yeah. Like, buddy comes here and here and here. And it would have been all over the shirt, which 
Sure, but I don't know about for <laughs> her family show, so maybe it wasn't the greatest idea. But uh, remember, we had had the back and forth with Jake where I forgot what we told him he couldn't say, but he goes, "Well, can I say moist?" And we're like, "Yeah, sure, that, that's fine." <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, it's it, it is all in the way you do it and the word you use. I mean, like, but Jake could take a, a synonym for something bad and uh, make it sound just as bad, and that was the point. Like, you know, I mean, that's old school wrestling. There, you don't want to get in trouble on TV by saying the just blatant word, but you can use a word that's really close and do just as good a job with the dirtiness of it. And he did that. For some reason, Jake's really good at that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just look, Matt. I thought, I thought. Um, you were always like, a, I, I think me and you talked on the phone like constantly every day yeah, for every hours. Day for multiple hours. <laughs> uh, it was like, it was a fun time because I always love talking wrestling with you. And it was a, uh, I, I always look back with NWL with fondness. And I always think it's, it was uh, one of the best times of my life because it was one of the last times I got to have like that camaraderie with uh, a group of people that enjoyed the same passionate thing with being re professional wrestling. And I don't know, regardless of what anyone says about the NWL, and I'm pretty sure you feel the same way. I just think that was, that was one of the greatest, if not the greatest time I've ever had in pro wrestling. And, and it was all because of major Basin and something crazy he wanted to do in the middle of nowhere. Right. Like, I, I guess in closing, it's like, you know, people are going to have their opinions on anything and, and look, not everybody who worked for us and parted away. I mean, there are people who are entitled to their, their bitterness or whatever, and I don't fault them for it, I guess. But for those of us that were in the trenches from beginning to end, like when it was bad and, and then when it was really good, it's like we have that particular bond no matter where we go in wrestling or, or what we do or even if you don't talk to somebody for – five six years it's like you live this experience with them and, and i feel like everybody in in like the office setting to the wrestlers that were in this grind every day or you know we have that experience that you can hold on to for you know, forever and I, I think that's really cool and i you know i'll say this I, i'm not a big like emotional human being or anything but like for you you took a chance on me in that and that particular job was was a decent amount of money for me in a in a time where I mean I, I was pretty in a pretty bad place. I, <laughs> I lied in that interview when Major asked me how long I'd been out of rehab, and I was like, "Oh yeah, a couple of years." I was still in there, so like you took a chance on me, which was which afforded me to be able to make some money, which afforded me to better my life and put myself in a position today that you know I'm good. And who knows if NWL don't happen? I don't know what I'm, you know, what I'd be doing. So I appreciate you taking a chance on me. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was a really fun time. Yeah. Well, God, if I would have known any of that, you would have been out the door. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, no, but no, you were, uh, I mean, we had obviously had a friendship from Metro Pro. And um, <laughs> the funniest thing about Matt Jackson as a member of the commission as Pierre Abernathy is that, um, and I'll always say this, like, they were more over than 99% of the roster and all these guys that were like, just, you know, vanity lovers, like staring at themselves in the, in the mirror every day and hated the fact that Jake and, uh, and Matt were so over with uh, a really 
like fun but so could be called like corny gimmick of some sort but they made it so good and these people were so angry <laughs> that they were so <laughs> over and you know my logic to them is like they're super over i don't care if you think they look like crap or what and these are coming from guys who you know live on the, the gas or whatever <laughs> but um i just you know it's just it, it, you take you you do it the best of what you got, and I think that's the NWL in a nutshell. Um, you know, we weren't going to be having access to, and we didn't even get into all the guys we tried to bring in, Matt. I mean, I've talked about it before. All the calls that we tried to bring in, like from all the national people, you know, like not necessarily big names at the time, but not, you know, I talked about Keith Lee, Jonathan yeah. Gresham, Scorpio Sky. Do you remember all that? Yeah, I remember I one of the times I went to Texas for like my last match. You asked me to talk to Keith Lee about doing NWL, which was a conversation that lasted about, oh, six seconds. And I go, hey, man, there's this place that's starting in Kansas City. They're hiring full-time wrestlers, salary. And he's like, yeah, I'm not really interested. Like, okay. <laughs> Pretty yeah. fast conversation. Yeah, he was, he was, it was a longer conversation on the phone. I think it was before that. But, uh, but yeah, he was, he, he did not want to do that. And he obviously went on to bigger and better things. But um, I remember, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Eddie Kingston was someone that was really bought in, right? He, he, oh, was, yeah, he was yeah. like, put me in. He, he was talking moving, like, he, oh, yeah, he, he wanted yeah, he, it he real was, bad. He was willing to move to St. Louis to be a bigger part of what we were doing, but yeah, he was definitely bought in. He liked what we were doing. He's really close with Vega and Fitchett. And yeah, he, he, he's close with Marty. He, he was willing to move it, move to St. Louis to like be a bigger part of what we were doing. And that's what that NWL brought. It was just something that you didn't see even these, I mean, don't you agree, Matt, if, if the NWL, I mean, I'm glad it was where it was, but if the NWL was in uh, on the East coast, it would have been a huge thing. Like, I mean, it would have been talked about constantly and in, in reality, it just, not to, not to play the poor old us in the flyover country here in the Midwest, but a lot of things we do in the Midwest would be a lot bigger if they had a bigger population base around them. And that was one of them. Yeah, definitely. I mean, at the end of the day, we all know why, it ended up not working out. Most, most, and I mean, in my opinion, it was just the money spent at the beginning, and then you know it, it ends because of major like stuff with major's personal finances. But I, I, I you know, I, I wouldn't change anything. But I look back on it at times. I'm like, man, if we were able, if it was able to start with the people in it, like that when it ended how we would have been able to do because yeah, and you know and i can't ever blame major for going the direction he did at the beginning because you know uh when he called me up yeah i was a former wwf writer and employee and i had an indie here but like he didn't know me from adam he didn't know anybody that was going into this i'm giving him as much information and advice as i can give a multimillionaire getting his throwing his money into the hat but he did you know he had all the best intentions of like doing it properly and you know, I could be like, well, if I just would have, if you just listen to me, you know, well, I mean, you know, I guess he oh, could be yeah, like, he, well, I'm a, I'm a multimillionaire. Why should I listen to you? So. Right. And, and he told me, I don't know if I should tell this story or not, but I, I guess I will. Uh, he, he told me flat out, like when he, when he talked to everybody, like, you know, he's a smart man. He does his research he, he, and all those things when starting this, he was told by everybody he talked to that you don't trust 
people in the wrestling business. Like, you don't trust wrestling people. And he was told that over and over and over again when he started this thing. Sure. And he flat out told me at the very beginning, he didn't trust us because we were wrestling people. And he trusted, like, other people or whatever. And, and not that it was the other people's fault or anything like that. But the point is, why, why would he have trusted us? And he told me, he's like, I, I wish I would have. Like, I wish I would have listened to Chris at this very, very start and this and that and listened to you guys. And, I mean, he's told me all those things in the years since this ended. But I can't blame him, dude. I mean, like, look, uh, how many times does a guy like him get completely railroaded by people? I mean, it, it happens all the time. It's just right. like going to these venues and they've been burned so many times. You, you're, But you're a good guy. You're not going to do that. Well, it doesn't matter. You know, right. <laughs> so. And, and you know, people have their opinions on the man, but this this man provided a living for a substantial group 20, of people. 25 <laughs> people? Like, right. he, he was, and he was giving all, all the full-timers, even the ones that had bad attitudes, he was giving them full uh, benefits, and, like, the part-timers could even make medical claims if they wanted. I mean, this is stuff that even Tony Khan doesn't do, and uh, this is a guy doing it in Kansas City. Right, yeah, he paid, I remember, like, Fitchett got hurt on a show, and he paid for Fitchett's full hospital bill, including ambulance ride, and Fitchett was the part-time wrestler. There's not another indie that would ever do something like that. Uh, they might by, like, raising funds, but just not out of their own pocket. And, you know, he, he that there are people, like, guys I know that bought multiple cars and stuff based on money that that man paid them to wrestle, and I think at the end of the day, if you're if you were on this roster as a full time person, even if you're one that that is bitter about it, it's like man, like you have to look at the the living that this dude provided for a bunch of people, and look for a big portion of us will never make a full time living again in the wrestling business, and he provided that for people in Kansas City and St. Louis, and they were able to better their lives and, and buy cars and. and maybe up their fucking way of living and he will help lay that foundation for some of them to do that and, and i think at the end of the day that's what people need to remember about this is that he actually helped people's lives for 18 months by providing them a living in the business that they dreamed of making a living in and at the end of the day that's what this was not to mention you know full coverage insurance for that had never happened before and he was the first to do that. And I think the man deserves credit for it. People can sit there and, and, and poke fun and make fun of him and try to say it was a failure. But I don't know. Uh, anybody that was a part of it has probably grossed more money than them in their whole time in the business in 18 months because of the thing that Major did provide it. So that I have, go ahead, Gabe. Matt do, you, <laughs> Matt, do you think that he'll ever run again? No, I don't. Uh, I don't think he will. Why would you? I mean, there's. I mean, there's no. There's no real. There's no real upside to it. I told him at the beginning. I was very negative about it going in. As far as him getting information from me, I was like, man, it's just a really hard go, especially if you're going to do it as much as he wanted to. Yes, indies can draw if you have a show once, twice a month. We're talking weekly by every other week. I mean, higher tickets, big production. That that is just hard to do, but. Matt, you know, there was a guy that was asked to be involved in this and he declined. 
But then years later, someone asked him, like, why did he do it? And he said, well, he didn't like Major's five-year plan. And I look at this and I laugh because um, in, a, you know, in, a, in about two years span of my life, uh, I made more money with Major Baisden than I had made in almost any year or two of my life at that point. And um, that was for basically because he knew my background, but he also paid me for the rights to my independent promotion that he gave me all back at the end. And uh, I, it made me laugh because the, the person that said that um, probably made a, I don't know, a, roughly a 50th of what they could have made in that time. And, uh, you know, I just think sometimes you got to take risks and have fun. And that's that I was at a good, thankfully a part of my life where I could have done that with major. And so were you. And so was Gabe. And so everybody was involved in it. And it was a, it was a great time. And so Matt, I, I appreciated becoming a good friends with you. I was already friends with you, but that obviously brought us closer. And I enjoyed doing that with you for the time we had together doing that. And thanks for coming on the podcast today because I could talk NWL all day. Yeah, no, this was a lot of fun. Five-year plan. Jesus, my five-year plan would have been looking pretty gloom without that. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad I went ahead and accepted it. So, yeah, yeah I yeah. appreciate you guys. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, Jackson, thank you. We should have you on again. And do you want to plug anything real quick uh, on the way out here? Uh, no, nah, I mean, I guess you want to follow at STL Anarchy on Twitter. There's a uh, Anarchy Patreon where me and Evan – bury people no not really we don't bury people it's a fun little patreon podcast it's uh patreon.com slash anarchy stl that's it all right yeah can you have me on that podcast because if it's behind a paywall i will just bury everybody because the people (laughs) that the people that wouldn't pay are the ones that i'd say it about anyway so it doesn't really matter yeah you'd be surprised how many uh weird names are subscribed to our patreon that i imagine are the other the boys wanting to know if anything's being said about them uh, they're probably the same people starting up NWL Twitter accounts. But anyway, Matt, I hope you have a great day. And uh, thank you for joining us, buddy. Yeah, thanks, guys. All right. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in this week to the worst territory in the world. Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating wherever you're hearing this podcast and let a friend know that we exist and we love you all. We will see you next time right here on the worst territory in the world. It's the worst territory in the world.